greater than me because that I could never be. A humble servant broken down and beaten with severity, wiped away the severance so all could walk with clarity. So really what's been scaring me? Is it Jesus that I really want? So here I am again to pray. You know the words I wanna say. Is my picture perfect, posture pleasing? I sit with tears and questions, pleading a wounded heart that groans from shame. Will the Father answer or push away? Oh, you've already made that start. You say that this is that change of heart. It started with a plea. So now you take a seed and you grow it into a tree. It won't be perfect because I am not he. The one we all reject be in my heart. So here I am again, where do I start? It is Jesus that I want. Hey, you guys. Come on, it's good to see everybody. Hey, we're, we're all together today at all of our campuses. Let's welcome everybody in, okay? So good morning and welcome, Edgewood. Hey, Aberdeen, Abingdon, Mountain Road. Everybody online, glad you're with us. So um, even if you weren't around in 1961 when it happened, you probably know something that went down when our youngest president ever, by the name of John F. Kennedy, went forward uh, on the uh, steps there in a very cold day in January and gave his inauguration speech. And it was a short speech, about 15 minutes, but there's one line that kind of rung out and kind of caught everyone, and it still is the one that echoes today. It's probably the only line you know from that speech. Some of you know what it is, right? I can't do it in a Bostonian accent, but it was something along the lines of, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. See, it seems to me like, like it was kind of a radical um, statement, a little almost poke in the eye, because everyone was starting to put their hand out and starting to say, hey, you know, what is the government going to do to help me and gri gripe about this or that or what's wrong with everything? And he was just kind of reversing the polarity of everything that was in the culture at the moment just to say, hey, 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 you're part of something really wonderful, and the answer isn't always just like consuming, consuming, but what can you contribute? Feels to me like that would still be a pretty good word for our country today. What do you think? But here's the deal. That is exactly the key to our faith as well. It, it, it is exactly a clue to how you pray if you want to actually see your world changed and the world around you. We're talking about prayers that rock the world, and we've got a simple definition. Help me out if you remember it. It's just simply the real you and the real God having a real, like all the reals are important in there, right? Like you really bring in yourself to, to a conversation with God, and we're learning that, man, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, and this is important for someone to hear today probably, you know. It doesn't matter where you may be with God or how close or far you are with God, what you've done in the past or anything, that, that we can all, we're really one prayer away from, from being connected and close to God. And since most of us feel like we don't know really like we're experts in prayer, most of us don't feel great about our prayer life. We want to make someone feel guilty, you just say, hey, how's your prayer life going? 
no matter who they are, no, no one's an expert, right? But, but we've, we're learning that it doesn't matter who you are or, or you know, we, we, we feel like we don't know what to pray, how to pray, so we're saying this, hey, steal some prayers. Just go steal them. You can make them your own. It's okay. It's all good, and we're going to borrow them from Jesus. We're going to borrow them from the Bible, and we're just going to kind of uh, say the shorter, the simpler, and the more real, raw, and authentic, and radical, the more likely it'll change you, change the world around you. And so that's what we're doing. So last week, Jared, it was an awesome message. If you didn't hear it, you got to hear it. In a world that's so ugly and divided and, and polarized at each other's throats, he says, we need to pray that prayer that Jesus prayed for us, you know, for oneness and unity. Beautiful. Go check that out if you missed it. And then week one, we began with talking about the short, simple, one-word prayer that all of us have prayed at different times. If you've ever prayed a single prayer in your life, you've probably prayed this prayer when you finally come to the end of yourself and realize, I can't. I, I don't have... I, I'm, I don't have it. I, I can't do this. I need what? Help. That's, that's the short, simple prayer that we all tend to begin with. Some of you, maybe, you know, you heard of this one about John. John went to hear one of those TV preachers, one of those faith healer miracle guys, and he goes forward, you know, afterwards, and he says, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. And the pastor says, well, what would you like me to pray for you, son? And he says, well, I'd like you to, I need help with my hearing. And he says, oh, no problem. He grabs the guy, puts a hand on his ear and a hand on his head and begins to pray this big dramatic prayer for his hearing. I pray for John's hearing. I pray for John's hearing. Everyone's praying. He steps back after a couple of minutes. He goes, John, how's your hearing? And John says, well, I don't know. My hearing is Thursday in magistrate court. I, I was just hoping you could <laughs> help me out with that. Here's what's interesting to me. Almost always when we pray, we are asking God to help us with something, aren't we? Almost always we are saying uh, some kind of request. Every week in this beautiful body that we call mountain, hundreds and hundreds of requests come. And they are beautiful and terrible all at the same time because they are, they're our lives. And we're going to God with requests for help. To provide, protect, to heal, to deliver a loved one with cancer, a marriage over here, a kid who's running, running crazy. And we just say, God, will you send some help? Will you send a blessing? Will you send some strength for us? Will you send some healing? Will you send a miracle? Will you send some patience? Will you send some strength? How many of you are glad we can go to God like that and there is like nothing too big for him, nothing too small. And we can just always go and it's a privilege, it's an honor and, a, and it's something that we just... Never take for granted. But here's the deal. There's more. There's, there's more to prayer. There's more to our life with God than that. Where we're saying help. And we're going to focus today on a, on a simple, short little prayer. If you find the courage to pray it, it'll be because you have finally dared to trust God and surrender even your comfort to him because you believe that it will lead you to greater fulfillment and also fulfillment of his purposes and it will kind of change the direction of the polarity if you will of the world in which we live instead of just saying send help send a blessing send strength send comfort send something we learn to pray God here I am send me Send me. It's a very different prayer. It's, it's, it's a kind of way of saying, I trust you enough. So instead of 
using God for our purposes, we say, God, use me for your purposes. Instead of starting with our agenda and asking God to kind of help it come together and work, we look at the world around us and we say, God, where do you need me? Here's why I think it's so important. We live in a time when, man, every big question that we always ask, every society asks all the same big questions, the answer that our society is giving is, whatever you want, because it's all about you. So the big questions like, who am I? Well, whoever you want to be, however you want to identify, whatever you want to be, it's all about you. Who, why am I even here? Well, to do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy, because happiness, according to you, is the new truth. That's the world we live in. What, what is my life even about? Well, what do you want it to be about? You want to go work? You want to make money? You want to have a family? You want to take adventures? Whatever you want it to be, that's the answer. And that's the world we live in. And, and the, the thing is, it's, it's, all, it's, all a, it's, it's a lie. Because it doesn't lead us to the most fulfilling, satisfying things that we really want. And we're, it's why we're, I think we're living in a time when so many people are so depressed and sad and angry and, and because we're running aimlessly trying to fulfill all of life's biggest answers by trying to appease the God of self. And it, it's empty. And then we take the same thinking, we drag it into our prayer life and we say, God, I'm important here and I want you to do what I need you to do for me. And our whole relationship with God is just one more way to fulfill the counterfeit message that everything is about you. Jesus says, it's not about you. I got a whole new way. It's way better. And in the end, you're going to be way happier than you ever would be if you try to just go live for yourself. So this is a big, radical, reverse the polarity kind of a prayer. It's, it's a way of taking JFK's thing to God and say, ask not what God can do for you, but what you can do for God. And in that process, you find that you end up feeling the most satisfied and fulfilled instead of praying always and only the bless me, help me, fill me, comfort me. You pray the prayer, God send me. And somehow Jesus promises, and I've experienced that, I bet you have too, that in those moments when you really just turn your life over away from our selfish, narcissistic selves for a while to say, God, what do you want me to do to get caught up in something that's big and important? That's where you actually find who you are. That's how you find your identity. That's how you find your purpose. That's how you find meaning and value and what really matters in life the most. So, went to preaching there. You know where this comes from, right? God's a missionary God. Did you know that? Like God's the first missionary. What, uh, God loves. So out of that love, he says, I can't just stay. I got to what? I got to go. He sees the need. He's like, I got to do something. And so God so loved that he gave. He sent his son. And Jesus was like, I'm here. Send me. And he came. And he loved. And then he says to us, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. Hello, y'all. You're sent. You're sent. Matthew 28, Jesus died. He rose again. And the disciples are like looking at him. He's like, he's alive again. He says, yeah, now listen up. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. So listen up. What I'm about to say is important. Therefore, what's the word? Go. You're sent. He came back from the dead with that message. Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now go. 
Go everywhere. And he goes on to say, baptize them and teach them. By the way, baptism, baptism is the way you get started on this. We're having baptism splash on Easter, Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. Some of you need to get in that water with me and, and, and with your campus pastor that's coming up in a couple weeks. And then just teach them everything and all, all that stuff. And he says, um, uh, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, that first word in there where he says, go, some of us need to remember, and I think we often talk about this. The, the meaning of that word in the grammar is literally this. As you are going. That's what that means. That's what that word, the grammar actually means. So he, Jesus is saying, he's not necessarily sending them to someplace new. He's saying, as you are going, as you are, every day, everywhere you go, every person you meet, everything you do, take me with you. I am with you always. And as you and I go together, you're on a mission You're on a mission. I love that. And yet it, it, it forces us to realize we, do, we often live our lives kind of consumed about our own agenda, don't we? What I love is the examples in this church of people who get that and who try to live it out. You talk to my, my buddy Mohan, goes to this church, and you say, Mohan, what do you do? He's likely to say to you, I'm a missionary of Jesus Christ. Cleverly disguised as a checkout clerk at the Falston Walmart. Sean, what do you do? I'm on mission every day. I'm a PE teacher at Patterson Mill, but I'm on mission there. Samantha, what do you do? I'm a lawyer by day, but really I have this suit I put on every morning underneath my lawyer, my, my lawyer clothes, and, and, and I'm a missionary of Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, as you are going to yoga class in that craft beer club and the gaming group you're in, as you are going, the people you run with, ride with, work with, play with, that's the audience, that's the place, that's the mission field. You are sent. I served for many years as a, as a hospital uh, chaplain, volunteer hospital chaplain. And uh, you would take your rotation, and, and so you'd be on call, you know. And back in the day, we had those little things, what are they called? Little uh, pager going on your boat. Someone please explain to the youngsters what a pager was, right? You put that sucker on your belt and, and you were on call and you didn't know who was going to call or what the need was going to be, but you were on call. You might be at a birthday party. You might be working in the lawn. You might be watching a movie. It didn't, didn't matter, but bzz, you got the beep or the buzz or whatever. You look at it. There's a number. You pick up the phone. You go, here I am. Where do you need to send me? And they go, well, we got a big problem down here in the ER. We got someone who's really in need. Will you come? And you go, what? I'm on my way. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on call, like right now. Like, can you, where's your pager? Did you leave it in the drawer? Is it even on? How do you turn your pager on? How do you know if God's like, I got something I need you to do? When Jesus says, go, how do you know? I'll tell you how. You pray this little prayer. You trust him enough to say, I, I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to, Instead of just saying, help me, bless me, you say, send me, God. How, how would you like to send me today? How would you like to use me today? Friends, your baptism is your ordination service, and you are commissioned in the ministry. Too often we're like, we kind of look at prayer as this, uh, my chance to put a pager on God. So, hey, I'm going to go about doing my thing, and I'll buzz you if I need you. And hopefully you'll be on call for when I need you. And it's really the other way around. 
The way we open ourselves to it all is praying that prayer. Here I am, Lord. Simple, just like everything. It could be for a massive life change. Or, or, or isn't that part open to God? Or it could be just like today, is there someone that you want to put in my path that I just need to bring an encouraging word to? Or invite to Easter services and everything in between. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I am, and everything I'm not. That's the prayer. Here I am. Send me. Here's why I think it's so important, and I think you all know that. We all, we all feel this, right? I mean, look around at the friends that we have and the family that we have, the society we live in. Do you think people need God? Do you think that church, you know, you know what's happening, see? When, when I got into ministry 35 years ago, you could turn on the lights and open the doors on Sunday morning, and people would flock into church. But that doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. If, if people, if people are, are going to be reached, you know, what, you know what? We might actually have to obey Jesus now because he's the one who said what? Go. He didn't say, tell everyone, come and see. He said, go. He said, go. Do you know what the fastest growing religious group in America is today? The nuns. Those who, when asked, like, what's your religious affiliation? They check the box that says none. Fastest growing religious group for like the last 10 years or more. Millions have walked away in the last few decades. From God, Christianity, the church. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a situation. For those under 30, like if you're over 50, a lot of your peers, about 50, 60% probably claim some kind of Christian faith. But if you're under 30, no. If you're under 30, about 10% of your peers claim Christian faith. If you're under 23, new data just suggests that the percent of your peers that claim Christian faith, 4%. Somebody needs to get sent. Somebody needs to turn their pager on. Because we get a lot of people that need Jesus. Here's the good news. There's like 90% of people in this country believe in God. 90%. Think of your 10 closest friends. Eight or nine of them are like, yeah, I know there's a God. Now, they probably aren't very religious at all. They probably don't go to church. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They probably don't know anything about the Bible. That's okay. But they believe in God. Here's new data from last week. Barna Research did a massive survey. 44% of people in this country, adults in this country, say they are more open to spiritual things and to God now than they were before the pandemic. God used that pandemic to loosen the screws on some folks. So we got 90% that say, I, you know, I, I'm, I believe in God. And we got about half saying, I'm more open than I used to be. What we need, if only we had some friends that could, you know, go talk to them, someone they could trust. If only we had a church that would really welcome them, you know. If only we had that. Well, it all goes back to that prayer, doesn't it? Like just that humble prayer, God, send me. Send me. So let me just ask you. Let me, let me ask about that pager on your, on your hip, Christian. I'm talking just to the believers now. How's God been messing with you lately? <laughs> That's what he does. You know, when God wants to bless someone over here, he messes with someone over here. 
That's mess, you know, is he messing with you at all? Like nudging you, encouraging you, bumping you? Like, hey, bringing someone's name to mind? Or just like, even like, hey, just kind of creating that little bit of just like, hey, it's time to go. It's time to do. It's time to, it's time to be on mission a little bit. What I think he wants to do is create all of us like people who are like, whatever we're doing, we're like responsive to the movement of the Holy Spirit so we can just be on mission. The greatness of this church is, is not measured by our seating capacity, you guys. It's measured by what? Our sending capacity. The impact of this church is not about how many people walk through the doors. It's how many go out those doors and act like we were sent. That's what makes us great. Some of you church types will remember this one back when you were a kid in Sunday school. You remember this little thing? Did you ever do this one, the Sunday school teacher? If you know it, say it with me. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. My brother was a lot older than I was. He was such a cynic. When I was a kid, he said, that ain't how it goes. It goes like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people lying down flat in their pews because it's sleeping because they're so boring. It's like, yeah, that's how I learned it growing up. But the reality is we live in a time and a place in American culture where it's actually a little more like this. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors. And there's not many people in a lot of churches. A lot of them are closed, flat, plateaued, declining. And Jesus just says, hey, it's, it's, like here, it's like this. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors so the people can get out of the church and go be the church. Because this ain't the church at all. It's like, let's go. You're sent. You feeling it? Get your pager on? We're sent. That's the mission. And that all begins with a prayer, a simple prayer that just says, man, send me, Lord. Use me today. It'll rock your world. It'll, it'll change a lot of things. So God's calling us. So the question is, how do you respond when the pager goes off? You know, in the Bible, there's all kinds of different examples like that. And we can kind of find ourselves in this. I mean, this is not meant to, you know, when the Bible talks this way, it's not meant to make us feel guilty. It's meant to, it's meant to measure the life we're living now and the fulfillment we think we're getting by trying to just gratify ourselves. Compare it to what Jesus offers and promises. And so we have to think about what's our response when God calls us, you know. I think of one example in the Bible is a guy named Jonah. How many of you ever heard of Jonah? Right? God calls him really clearly, like, I need you to go do this thing. I want you to preach to these people. And they were called Ninevites. And Jonah just flat out says, no, I ain't doing that. I hate those people. Are you a Jonah? You know, I'm, I'm actually really comfortable the way I am. Or the people that I know that you're going to call me to, I'm so disgusted with them that I don't really want to have anything to do with them. That's one of our options. Run the other way. God will catch up to you eventually, even if he has to use a fish to do it. He'll, he'll catch up to you. Another way we could respond is more like a guy named Moses. Ever heard of a guy named Moses? God saw the needs of the people. They were slaves in Egypt. He's like, man, I've heard the cries. I think it's uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. I've heard the cries, and, and, uh, and so now uh, Moses, here's the deal. Um, you, it's you. I'm sending you. He, his pager definitely goes off. He knows it plain and clear. He says, you're the one that's going to go to Pharaoh and get my people out of Egypt. I, I got a plan. I'm going to mess with you because I want to bless everybody. And Moses is so caught up in his own insecurities. He's so convinced and locked in underneath his own sense of inadequacy that he can't hear the call at all. He might as well have been a Jonah. He's just like, oh God, you made a big mistake here. You got the wrong guy. Verse 11, he says, oh, but he protested, who am I 
Who am I? I mean, look, look at, in other words, look at that guy. Look at that lady. Look at, who am I? You are talking to the wrong person. Jonah looked, looked, looked at the people God sent him to, and he's like, I ain't going because I don't like them. Moses looked in the mirror and says, I don't like him. And sometimes we just make excuses. Like, God, I appreciate your, it's a great idea and everything. I see the needs, but it ain't me because I don't know enough about the Bible because I'm too busy because I'm, I'm too young. My kids are, you know, they got soccer. You know, I, I, I'll do it when the kids are out of the house. I'll do it. When, I used to do it when the kids, when I was younger. You know, we had all these reasons and all these excuses. Are you, are you a Moses? And, and, and there's a third response that's neither a Jonah or a Moses response. And it's just this, it's just this simple, humble thing. And it's captured best by this guy named Isaiah. Ever heard of a guy named Isaiah? <laughs> He's just got this beautiful response. God says to him in verse 6, 8 of Isaiah, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? In other words, he, he's just like throwing it out there. Let me give you a little background. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. You always want to look at the context so you kind of know what's going on before you get to the punchline of a big verse. So you kind of know, well, what's this really about, right? Well, in this passage, you, you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, and it tells us. So Isaiah 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. In the year that king, say the word with me. That was pretty weak. Let's try it. All the campuses, everybody home, try it again. I'm not even going to tell you. You say it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I actually don't know. That's why I was asking. So it's, I think it's Uzziah. All right. In the year that King Uzziah died, this prophet Isaiah says something happened. I, I had an encounter with God. I saw the Lord, I and exalted, not something that happens every day. You ever notice how Moses, Jonah, all the call kind of happens when they meet God? And I saw this God, he's seated on a throne, and the train of his robe was filled, the temple. It's this beautiful vision right there. Well, what's going on there? Uzziah, you need to know, was this amazing king of Israel. He was wonderful. Everybody loved Uzziah because when Uzziah reigned on the throne, everything was great. They had, he brought stability and success, and they were a comfortable lifestyle. They didn't have to worry about the economy. They didn't have to worry about all those advancing nations. All the other nations are warring and fighting each other, and like Uzziah's on the throne, they're fine. You know, they're fine. And then um, Uzziah died, and they're all like, oh, no. And everything starts to unravel. And all of a sudden, we've all had that moment, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, you've had that moment where, you know, all of a sudden things feel uncertain or unstable or scary. Maybe someone died. Maybe, you know, it was a financial thing or I don't, I don't know. But we've all lived through that moment when something we trusted disappeared and we feel kind of that chaotic turmoil like, ah. Oh, we're scared, we're, we're, we're desperate in our lowest times. That's when he sees the Lord. How many of you know that sometimes it's in our lowest times that it seems like we have our closest encounters with God? I think it's because that's when we finally really look for him. And maybe it's also because he in his tenderness looks for us. But that's what happened with Isaiah. He is uh, at his lowest, and he has this incredible encounter, and he describes it here. If you go back to that first verse, back to, back to verse 1 real quick, uh, back to verse 1 where it says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, I saw God, and i got to tell you guys something. He was big. 
And so what he's trying to say, the temple was the biggest thing they could imagine. They, they pictured it big to, to convey that God was grand and powerful and almighty, and they built the biggest old temple they could. And he says, I actually saw God, and the little tiny hem of his garment filled the whole thing. He's that big. And that's when it dawned on me that Uzziah is not on the throne, but God is. And he's having this moment, you know, and he strains at words to try to describe for us and his friends in the next few verses, verses 2 through 4, what he saw and, and how this encounter, it wasn't just a visual, he was experiencing God. It's like, and he describes it in terms that may seem strange, but he's trying to picture this grand God that were all around him, these mighty seraphim, those are big angels with six wings, two with wings, they covered their faces, and, and then they, what they do, they, attend, uh, they came, they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, so you got this loud, booming, these massive, otherworldly figures just yelling, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. <laughs> In the middle of all that, he's just trying to describe what he experienced with God. He's left in awe. It just is a reminder that when we treat God real casually or flippantly like our little buddy, we're probably not seeing the real God if you haven't heard a call from God. If you've never sensed that, you know, you've been sent, it's probably because maybe you haven't met the real God. The God that Isaiah saw is the God, the God of all glory, the God of all majesty, the great I am, the righteous Father, our fortress, our stronghold, the eternal God, the God of all grace. He's not just that God. You can say he's my God, which makes it even more intense. Like, this is your God that Isaiah saw. You say he's my stronghold. He's my deliverer. He's my fortress. He blots out my sins. He's my advocate. He's my strength. He's my comfort. He's my hiding place. He's my hope. He's my light. He's my deliverer. He's everything. And when you come to know that God and experience him even a little bit, you have a relationship with that kind of God. You see who is calling us. It just changes the way you feel about, well, I've got, I hate, I hate it when, you know, people break into my schedule. You just feel differently about it when you see that kind of a God. And I think what happened to Isaiah also happens to us. What happened to him next is that he begins to realize how much he needs God and how much, how, how much of a sinner he is. I mean, look at the next verse. He says in verse 5, he says, it's all over. When he sees God, he realizes, oh, man, I don't belong here. You know, he just feels small and weak. He says, I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I, I, I have unclean lips. I live among a bunch of people that are all just as sinner as I am. I mean, we're all just, we don't, no, this is just, I'm just done. He, in the presence of God, he just feels like he wants to go away. And he has this spirit of humble repentance. And, 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 and I wonder if we have never really experienced that kind of spirit of repentance. And, and like, I know I'm a sinner and I need you, God. Maybe it's because we haven't really seen the real God. But it's in those moments where we're finally ready to kind of just be humble before a great big God, that we have this spirit of, of humble recognition of our smallness before God, that God quickly zooms in with his grace. It's like then our humility finally opens the door for him to come and say, oh, I'm here. It's exactly what happens with Isaiah. God comes with his amazing grace. And what happens in the story of verse 7 God sends an angel to take a, a pair of tongs and reach out of it and get a piece of coal out of the, the, the altar and brings it over and symbolically touches the lips. I have unclean lips. And he touches and heals and cleanses Isaiah right there. Listen to me. The words are, see this coal has touched your lips. Now listen to this word. Your guilt 
is removed and your sins are forgiven. It's a beautiful thing. Isaiah's like, I don't belong here in the presence of God. God says, I know, but I love you and I, my grace is enough. Comes and touches and cleanses. Your sins are forgiven. Friends, what happened with Isaiah that day is what Jesus Christ has offered for every single one of us. When you finally see God, wow, he's big, he's holy, he's pure, and I just, I don't measure up. He's like, oh, you finally get it. Well, then let's bring my grace. And Jesus Christ says, I, I'll die for you to cover all that sin. Touch your lips so you can speak for him. Touch your hands so you can serve him. But it still comes back to a response that's needed. And so, the next thing out of God's mouth after he kind of cleans up Isaiah is verse 8. We got a real situation here. Uzziah died. We got a lot of people freaking out, Isaiah. I'm kind of extrapolating. Isaiah, I got a need. I got to bless some people. So I'm messing with you right now. I wonder, Isaiah, whom should I send? I'm just wondering. What do you think? He just saw God. He just, real, he, just got, he just got his sins forgiven. Isaiah, I'm just curious. I, I want to bless the whole world like I just blessed you, but I have a hypothetical question. Like, I wonder, who should I send? Like, is there anyone available? Anybody at all? Who, who is there anybody? Isaiah's standing right here. Is there anybody that would go for us? And Isaiah responds the way any of us would respond if we really saw God. He said, oh, right, right, God, God, here I am, here I am, here I am, send me. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It might change your life calling. It might change who you invite to Easter. It might just change kind of something small about what you're going to do on your Tuesday afternoons from now on. Instead of just making it only about you, you might just want to, I'll go to lunch with someone and listen to them and maybe build a friendship because they just need someone that cares. Because God's messing with you. He's touching you to go talk to somebody, listen to somebody, invite somebody. He, I know he is. And some of you, he's messing with you in a big way. A guy named Matt was in his mid-40s. He had these graying hair and wrinkles on his face and everything. You could tell this guy had been through a lot for mid-40s, you know, but he also kind of had a warm demeanor, and like you could tell, he's back in a good place. And this is the guy that goes up to his preacher after church one day, and uh, he just grabs both of his hands and looks the preacher in the eye, and he says, the answer is yes. What's the question? <laughs> preacher thinks, this guy's weird. <laughs> Doesn't think anything of it, you know. The next weekend, the same guy comes up, grabs his preacher by the hands, looks him in the eye and says, the answer is yes. What's the question? Preacher's like, ha ha, God bless you too. Doesn't know what to do, you know. It happens like three or four times and finally they have him in it and he says, dude, your name's Matt, right? Like, what's your story? And at that, the, Matt just lights up, you know. You can tell he was waiting for that, that question and he says, you know what, I wasn't always like I am today. I've done a lot of bad things hurt a lot of people. I darn near ruined my body and my life. I was addicted to alcohol, to porn, and to gambling all at the same time. I crushed my children. I ruined, I was unfaithful with my wife. I caused so much pain. He begins to choke up as he's telling the story because he's getting to the good part. He says, but I'm so thankful now for those low times because that's when the first time I really ever prayed to God, I prayed a help prayer. 
And I'm thankful to my other buddy that God sent to me because he saw what I was going through and he said, would you want to go to church with me? Part of me wanted to say, hell no. I hate church. But I said yes. And that's where I heard, heard you preach about the gospel of Christ. And I said, well, that's for someone else. It's not for me. But eventually it just broke into my heart. And I invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Now he's choked up. The pastor is choked up. He says, now I'm just so thankful to my buddy that he was sent and to you and to this church. Jesus changed my life and I don't ever want to forgive it. So now if you need the church lawn mowed, the answer is yes. If you need me to go pick up a widow and drive her to Sunday morning, I will, I will say yes. If you need me to donate some money so the kids can go to camp so they can experience what I have and don't have to go through what I went through, the answer is yes. Friends, that's the picture of a modern day Isaiah. His answer is yes. He's an available person who knows that the greatest joys that we're seeking in life don't come when we just feed the God of self, but when we believe Jesus, when we say you want to find your life, give it away. And the way you do that is you say, the answer is yes. Here I am. What you got for me? Is that your prayer? Let's pray. God, We feel like Isaiah, because we are not that great. We feel like Jonah running the other way. We feel like Moses, who uh, just feels inadequate. But we just need your help to remind us what you've done for us in Christ and to keep cleansing us and saying, yep, I can use you. I can use you. Bring your grace to us. And then we'll hand you a blank contract of availability and just say, send me. Anytime, anywhere, anything. You fill in the details. Our life is yours. God, I, I, I can't even imagine this many people at all of our campuses and watching online praying that prayer and then you saying, man, I can mess with a lot of people all at once. What an impact you could make. So hear us, Lord. We're trying. Help us to pray it. Send me.